Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Romerik Filoyeni, co-founder and CEO of Covery. In this episode, Romerik shared why his previous startup didn't work out and how they pivoted into Covery. We then talked about the challenges of being a customer-centric company and their unique approach to building their customer success team by hiring their customers' personas as customer success representatives. We then dove into why Covery has minimal churn and how they build trust with potential customers at every touchpoint by delivering value upfront. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Romanik, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me today. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Romanik is the founder and CEO of Covery, the simplest way to deploy your apps on AWS and Kubernetes. Uh, Romanik started his career out as a system engineer at Ulink and before founding a series of companies such as New Smart Hards and My Social App. So, my first question for you then, Romanik, today is what happened to My Social App? <laughs> it's a very good question. It's, you know, it's the story that you can get from like all founders that are quite technical, spending too much time, like developing a great product, yep. but uh, didn't like get into starting to talk about it. So it ended like all like tons of other, like product that you can find on product end or like indie hackers, which is basically like, yeah. It's a great technical product, but there is no market, there is no user, no consumers. So this is where yeah, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. Also for those like Romerick uh, is, has a very, very technical background. He's a technical CEO as well. So today it's, it's interesting just chatting to him uh, about your attention. But it's interesting that you say that as well, that you started sort of sales or marketing or speaking to, to customers late because like, Maybe tell us a little bit about the product. What was the premise? And uh, just to get a better understanding. Of uh, my social app? Or yes, or my, social, my social We'll get to COVID. Yeah, my, yeah, my social app was basically, uh, so at the beginning, it was, uh, so the story, long story short, it, it was like, uh, it used to be a social network for motorbikers. So Numota, we had this uh, platform that were like quite successful in Europe, in France. So yep. to help like motorbikers to just get around all together, making a ride. And we, we saw that we had like uh, developed a very good, very great technology, which is like uh, 
very similar to what you can get on Facebook, on Twitter. So all the features that you can get from both platforms into one. And we decided to create a, a, a wide label platform that was named My Social Art. So the idea was that for anyone that wanted to get like the Facebook, so building like a Facebook-like platform or Twitter platform, that they can use like our SDK or API and then get right away all those features. So that was like my secure. Cool, yeah, because that's what I thought, like I've seen quite a few different companies popping up now where they give SaaS businesses the ability to integrate with more social features. Um, so I was interested if like sort of that was uh, the use case uh, back then and interesting to see how like you spun out of one company that you exited from what I saw from this model and then this formed out of it. Because uh, actually recently we had on the show uh, Joe from Maze um, talking oh, yeah. during his story of sort of like how he started out with a company called Ping, uh, which essentially was what Discord is today. Uh, and then just at some point realizing, okay, like they needed to make a pivot and uh, like landed into into Maze. So tell us like, how did you land into Covery then? Like uh, I'm sure there's a connection yeah. and you can connect the dots for us. Yeah, they, like, uh, we just decided to shut down, not, not really like shut down my social because we have sold so the company like to another one of our customers actually, because we are like uh, multiple customers and one of them wanted to just buy out uh, the, the, the company. So that's what we did. Uh, but the way that we get into like uh, careers in some way, like related to my social app, because, you know, we had like this experience of infrastructure, we were doing that. With my co-founders, so Pierre, the CTO, uh, we were doing that like for many years, like more than 10 years. So it's not our like first company together. We did like uh, three other companies. So including like my social app. And this is where we just decided, hey, listen, we are doing that, like managing infrastructure, making like the developer's life easier for all those companies that wants to price for like a very crazy like salary. Uh, maybe we are better like to just like put all our knowledge in terms like into one product and distribute to anyone. So this is where we get into like uh, uh, Covery basically. And explain to us a little bit more what you do at Covery because I, I gave a brief intro to start, but what do you do at Covery? Yeah, basically we have developers to deploy the application in the cloud. Um, so what we have just to give you the full picture, the full context, because so, so, sometimes when you're like not from the just you, you may think that the developers can do like any, uh, everything, but actually you have like some specialties, you have some, uh, really expertise to me and the developers, the, the job of the developers to respond to business needs. You're using this uh, knowledge in terms of algorithms to respond to those business needs. And it's not doing like what we call the plumbing stuff, managing servers, databases, network, or those things, even if in the cloud, it's quite abstracted. It's still like another job. And basically we help them. So we provide like platforms that make them like very easy to deploy their application. So it's super similar to what you can get on, for instance, Heroku or Render or other like a past platform. But the main difference here is that we are not a hosting platform. We are deploying on their own cloud account. So they have to provide their AWS account, for instance, they connect their AWS account. They connect their GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket repository. They select the services that they want to deploy as well, like the database, for instance, PostgreSQL. And then from that, they can deploy on their own cloud account. So we bring like the best of both worlds, which is like the great experience that you can get on AOQ, for instance, but also like the flexibility and the powerfulness of AWS 
into one platform for those developers. Well, and sort of where did the uh, understanding for the market come from from this? You mentioned before you took a little bit too long speaking to customers and so forth. Like, how did you realize you wanted something with Covery um, and to double down on it? Yeah, you, you mean uh, when and how I, I realized Validated. that yeah. yeah, it's just basically that we were only, it's like, it's not a sad story, but it's just that we were like able doing that. We were paid for doing that for like so many years. You know, we have this expertise of managing servers, databases, network, complex infrastructure stack, stack that are quite abstracted. And if you like talk to even developers, they don't know how to do that. So at some point you have to find a way just to, Hey, you have like an expertise. There is a need, there is a market. We have also this like speed of wanting to build something that is useful and really used by people. And this is where we get into like a career. Very cool. Um, so how are things going today? Like, uh, tell us a little bit about the business, like where you're at as, as a company. Yeah, so just to give you the full context uh, and the background, so we do exist for two years now. Uh, so we've been accepted by Texas. Uh, we have started to launch like the first version of our product in uh, January 2020. We started with uh, 50 developers. Now we have more than 20,000 developers using our platform. We've been at the time like a three in the team. We are like a 16 and we are going to be like a 20 before the end of the month. Uh, we have a fundraise 5 million in total with great investors like Datadog, Docker, Content Square, uh, people dog and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, it's going pretty well. Uh, we have uh, more than 100 customers from FinTech, InsurTech, healthcare companies everywhere. Uh, so it could be like in the US, in Europe, you know, in South Pacific. Uh, we have like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going pretty well. And today we are like, we have one main metric that we are following, which is like the number of deployments because our platform is like a productivity platform. And we are growing like more than a 15, 15% a week over week on that metric. So yeah, it's going in the right direction at least. That's awesome to you. Uh, and obviously I think like this introduction uh, for you being on the podcast today came from previous guests uh, from Rav Daliwal uh, from Crane VC and also like interviewed him previously it was just amazing listening to his background yeah. and experience, like all the different companies he worked at, like. He manages to pick the perfect companies to be at the perfect time. If you want to hear of somebody who managed their career to like uh, a T and like managed to invest their time, definitely recommend checking that episode. We'll put it in the show notes. But he introduced as well, and obviously that you'd written a blog post around your approach to customer success. And I think it'll be interesting yeah. to dive into that a little bit today, uh, considering as well, like it's a very technical product. You're a technical uh, founder. Um, Talk us through a little bit about like what you wrote and what your approach to uh, customer success is at Covery. Yeah, and thanks first like to Ralph for all of that because I'm an engineer myself and for me it's like quite new. Even if I'm not like remote uh, founder, it's good to have someone that is like his expertise, experience that and showing like his background and Ralph was like pretty good at that because he explained to me what was like the time to value, you know? Sometimes when you have something, you, you know about all those things because you experience yourself, but then you have like someone that is just putting the right word on that. 
it was exactly the situation that we get with Rav. And this is where we started to just like focus on these things, which is like the time to value thing. How, how to make sure like those, our customers, our users are getting the value as fast as possible of our platform in the first five minutes. That was like our obsessions for the last months. And it's quite like, it's not, it's not super easy for like developers, uh, for, for, for founder like me, because I'm very like a product driven. I'm really like a technology, technological, like a driven, all those things. And being now much more like uh, customer driven, user driven is like a change of paradigm. And this is like a very, very, very challenging, like for, for, for a founder like me. It's very interesting. Like, and I totally see that. Like, what do you think in your perspective has been like one of the biggest hurdles to get over, like changing your perception on this uh, and moving more like customer centric, like. What were some of the things you found difficult in doing and what are some of the things you think you're doing well now as a result of realizing this? Yeah, it's when you are like a product driven and you are vision driven and you think about like technology and all those things that you can do, you are like projecting yourself into the, like the end uh, way of the end uh, state of your company, which is like the vision. So you're building something. Sometimes you think about like the future and you're building something in that direction, but the reality is that how do you make sure that you get into the market? How do you make sure that you respond to the needs of today? Because even if your vision is still the same, then you have to make sure that today you are like delivering like the value and in the way that you want to do that. Okay. And that was like the biggest like challenge ever, especially when like you're technical like me, you think about the future, you predict something that you are sure that it's going to change the way that people do what they're doing. But yeah. Maybe, but no one first, no one uh, know about you. So how do you make sure that you, you get known? And is it like really responding to a need that today, because even if it's like in five years, because you're seeing and you, you can feel that the market is moving in that direction, maybe it's a bit too soon. So how do you make sure that you like get into the market? You just deliver value today to potential customers to achieve and attain like your, your vision. So that was the most challenging thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can resonate with that a lot. And actually, like I had the same conversation. I think we discussed it on the podcast with Joe from Maze and then also previously with David uh, Dominant from Hotjar. Uh, just sort of like as founders, we have these end uh, visions in mind of where we see the market moving and where the products should be. But we really need to be focusing on where the market is today and how we can meet that market so we can get to that end vision. Because if we spend all our time just building features and like, uh, trying to yeah. get to that end result, yeah. we end up missing like the moment and now and never ever getting there. So, um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Especially when you are like quite restrained in terms of resources, you see, you don't have like all the, all the money that you would need to be like the team that you exactly want and all the features. So you have to make choice. And this is like super frustrating. It's one of the most like frustrating thing that you can feel as a like founder because you know that you have to make choice like temporary choice at the moment where you are at the stage where you are today yeah do you have any framework uh, from your perspective of like how you're going around making these decisions because like you say there are uh, there's an abundance of choice i think that's also the scary thing as well when you get started and uh, you're moving in there's a lot of different ways you can take the product and understanding which direction to go like do you have any framework that you work on from your side that helps you to sort of oh yeah 
Yeah, there's only one framework to be honest is to be close as close as possible of the market and the market being close of the market is being close of your customers. That's it. The yeah. only thing, the other things are like completely bullshit and it's a technical barrier. <laughs> I, I would prefer to, as a, to be honest, as a, like a tech guy, for instance, this weekend, I spend my weekend, like enjoying my time and people think that I'm working, but I was twitching and streaming live coding so i'm building like a sidecar product for recovery and i was like a streaming in real time uh, the, the product that i'm coding so this is the best situation you know i'm not uh it's for me it's not like normal being here like coding and spending time in front of my computer sometimes i would like to spend just, just more, much more like time coding but it's not part of my job my, the job of the ceo is to be to understand the market, to understand the customer, the, pe the people that are ready to pay for your product. And just like this, the only framework that I have today, is just spending as, yeah, as much as possible tied with those customers, delivering them value, making sure that those customers recommend your solution and what you're doing to other like CTOs in my case. And that's what we are, su we, we are succeeding at. So it's, it's quite uh, like uh, rewarding at the end. It's cool. Yeah, so tell us then a little bit about uh, your approach to customer success. How do you structure it at the company? What does it look like? Yeah, thanks for asking that. Uh, because like it's very odd, <laughs> it's a very odd topic actually, uh, in a way that uh, it's uh, not as easy, especially when you have like a tons of tech in that company and the culture is very techy. But we have like a two main team today. And uh, we have the product, what we call the product team, which is like working on the product. So we product manager, developers, backend, frontend, SREs that are working like on the deep machine, the deep stack. Uh, and we have what we call the developer experience team. So that developer experience team is composed of mostly engineers themselves, but with the ability of talking to the customers because it's like a topic as well. And most of the companies, they think that developers, they can't speak to the customer. But in fact, in a tech company, a developer is the best seller ever. If you put like in front of a CTO, lead tech, a developer, a developers that is like talking the same language, then it's the best way of just selling your product because they have like the same level of conversation. They know, they understand each other and so on and so forth. So we have those two teams. We have the product team that is focusing on the product delivery making sure that we really like the features that we need for our customers. And we have like the developer experience team that is working closely to the customers, taking their needs, making sure that they get the value of the platform as fast as possible. And to report like the missing points that are in the product to the product team. Yeah, this is the way that we are composed today. So essentially what you're saying is then for your customer success team or the developer experience team, uh, as you call it is, um, Instead of going out and hiring like traditional maybe customer success reps from other companies, you've gone ahead and uh, found uh, developers and engineers to fill those roles. And like, do they are they learning new skills or were these sort of like the customer success side of things something that they already had? Because I think this is also another thing. Like typically, you say like uh, engineers are. Oh, how do you say this? Like not always the most outgoing and outspoken people in the company. If I have to think of my experience, they're typically the ones that hate sales and success as well. And this is a very big generalization, and I really apologize to any engineers listening to the show. But uh, I think from my experience well, with customer success, it's like a little bit more of the opposite. It's more the outgoing, outreach, like 
So, I would, yeah, I would not say that to be honest. I would yeah. say it's the it's the right level of empathy. It's, oh, yeah. uh, it's, you need to have someone that understands, yeah. like feel like the pain of the customers. Like just make sure to really understand deeply and then propose like the right thing, making sure that this customer is like successful at the end. And this is like a parameter. If you look at this empathy, if you look at developers, you can find like developers that are, they are like this right level of comfort, you see? Mm. And this is exactly what we are looking at. It's someone that is much more like oriented to someone like uh, outside than inside. So that's, that's what we are looking at when we have a developer expert engineer that is joining the team. Because I, I mean, it's what you've done though as well as like you've tried, you've hired somebody who is like the persona that you're going after as well, like you say, so they can empathize better with the problem that they have because they've been in their shoes before and so forth. Uh, what I've seen as well, like from all the interviews that we do on customer success and when we talk about hiring, it's never really been about like trying to find uh, someone with specific experience, uh, which like in your case is what you've done. It's more like the ability to problem solve, like uh, the ability to be able to be helpful and being proactive, like to be able to learn fast, like these are the skills they're looking for. But I do see the advantages of what you've done really, because when it comes to the empathy point, it really, really helps. And I wonder if like, this is something that others are doing and uh, you can let me know as well. Uh, I'd love to hear from anybody who is out there doing this, but for example, if you're building uh, software for sales teams, like, does it make sense to have people with sales backgrounds in the customer success team? Or if you're building for marketers, like it, does it help if you have marketing experience and we have had guests that have come yeah. over, like move to tools and stuff, but it is an interesting way to view hiring from this perspective and going back to the point you made about being able to empathize. Like uh, if you've been in that, uh, in their shoes, you felt the pain, you know, the frustration they yeah. get through better than anybody else. You're better set up to help them than anybody else. Uh, so. Yeah, 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 completely. And there's one also aspect that you mentioned is definitely like the, the skills of the person that you have in point. You know, it's like the, for me, customer success, like developer experience, as we mentioned, as we call that, is really like the, is what you, what you get, what you see from the company from outside. It's the first contact that you have. You have the product, obviously, they are looking at the documentation, the video and so on. And when, you know, we are talking about like infrastructure, so it's not like a classic dev tool, a stuff or SaaS product, which is maybe not so much critical. We have like businesses. We have fintech companies that are like running their business on our infrastructure. So when they are like a contact, they want to have like someone in front of them. They are buying our product because we are much more like experts than them into what we're doing. They buy our expertise. You remember at the beginning, what I mentioned is that yeah. we are expert in what we're doing. And the platform that we are building is just like the, it's our expertise. So when you talk to someone from like the developer experience team, you just want to make sure that the level of this person is very, very high. It's very high. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see in your case where it is that much more critical as well to make sure that you have a good face, especially when your whole business is going to be relying on your products and service to keep them up and uh, keep them moving. Um, and that is an interesting thing, I think, to touch on because I think it's a unique challenge that you have as a business then when like your infrastructure you provide is so uh, business critical. So. What is sort of like the level of support and uh, that you're providing to your customers? How do you structure uh, your success and support team around that? Yeah, very good question. Thanks for asking that. Is, uh, so today we are uh, still like a very small team, still quite early stage, even if we have like uh, 
hundreds of customers, uh, thousands of uh, developers using the platform. And we, we really believe in the way that if you want to scale, if you do want to scale your company, you, you need to make like your product much more like uh, self-service than, uh, yeah, you, you need to make it like very uh, usable by themselves. So they need to get into it, get the value by themselves and all those things. So that's exactly where we are going to, uh, where we are moving on because it, that this is where it was like super necessary for us, like to be as close as possible of our customers, meaning like getting like the onboarding process, because today the way that we onboard our customers, we have two options for them. It's they can onboard by themselves or they can be like onboarded manually by one of our DX engineers. Okay. So they are like, a, they can, they can choose whatever they want and that process that option. So the manual one was very necessary just to improve the experience, the overall experience. But we are talking about like infrastructure, obviously, and the level of support is like part of some of our customer requests, like SLAs, uh, so service level, service level agreement. Uh, okay. Because they're running like a production, uh, stuff, but, um, yeah, it really depends on how much they are going and they're ready to pay for obviously and the critic and the criticality of their business. But today, the way that we have structured the support is we have like a best of a best, uh, best effort option, which is basically, so, uh, they send us like an email or a tap uh, through the chat, and then we respond as fast as possible. So legally we can respond, we can take the time, but what we do is because it's part of the experience for us, we respond as fast as possible, meaning that generally it's around one hour maximum. Uh, we have also, uh, the, the option, which is like much more what we call community support, which is like completely free. It's basically you connect to, we have a one forum, one place where you can share, like ask your question and then you get the response from our community or users or even the staff. Okay. And we have a support, like a premium support offer where it's like negotiated case by case, customer by customer, where you can like provide high degree of support. It really depends on, but today we are at the stage that the support really counts, you know, to just get your first customers to make sure that they are like uh, super happy using your platforms. They give you like the feedback and so on and so forth. So we are very close to them and we are not, uh, yeah, we are ready to make like the extra mile for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially at this early stage, it's like they become your best champions as well after a while and recommending, and you really need to make sure that you're, you're on it. Um, so you have the team then as well. Now we talked a little bit about customer success and so forth. The company has been going for about two years now, you said, uh, a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, two years. are you predominantly annual or monthly contracts? How do you structure your pricing? It's a very good question because I was talking about the CTO of Font that I know pretty well. So I, Laurent, if you, if you listen at, uh, at this podcast, but, uh, yeah, he was telling me that something like if you can charge as fast as, then it doesn't make like any change actually, like uh, charging, starting to charge like customers, especially in our case, like, uh, annually, it would be great for the, like, the, the future of the company, obviously everyone knows about that, but you know, when you start your company, you don't really know how you can do that because your product is still like in the development and so on and so forth. So now we have started to get like our first customer with like an annual contract, but most of our like customers, they get like a, a, a monthly contract. Yeah. Monthly contracts. Yeah. I, I think a lot of companies, I think even looking back at Hotjar, 
we only introduced like annual plans in year three or four. I think there was only monthly plans uh, for the first three or four years. Um, so how does churn and retention then look for yourself? Because like, I think in my mind again, like because this is infrastructure and uh, it's built in, it's some, one of those things you put in, you set and forget. It's not something you just can rip out easily. Uh, so I would make assumptions that you've got really strong and a, st- a strong sticky product. Um, but what does it look like for you? Like, what are some of the challenges when it comes to general attention you're seeing? Yeah, I can give like precise number, obviously. Because, no need for numbers. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, but I'm talking like publicly to those, those things, but you can imagine that our customer, like they are spending three to four to five hours per day on our platform every single day. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes even like during the weekend, because they have side projects that they want to deploy. And when we get them, we never lose them. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is the, the way that we, we get our retention. So it's like a quite, uh, you know, we are really integrating into, the, into their working environment. It's, I think it's, if you want to take like a parallel, it's the same as a Git solution, like a GitHub, for instance, when you're like a developer using GitHub. Yep. It's, it's very part hard of your workflow. How, yeah, it's part of your workflow. It's not like one more tool that, no, it's, you need something at some point, you need something to deploy your application. Mm. It can be done manually and can be done like by a product or like one person that would take some time to do it manually. And when you are like a developer, you don't have the choice because maybe you don't have like the knowledge. You don't want to, to be bothered by that. And you're like picking a solution and when you start using it, then, uh, yeah, it's just like not the switching over, costs but... and everything become high and yeah, you don't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it's interesting as well. Like this, I had a conversation with David to dominate again, like we're talking about, and I don't think you should like choose a business based on like how high churn is in specific area, because sometimes there's opportunities when there's, but like the, the measure he sort of, uh, had for himself was like, when you think about how far up on the budget list are you, like when shit hits the fan, when there's a global pandemic, customers are yes. canceling subscriptions yeah. left, right, and center, like, are you the first one to go on the list or are you the last one to go on the list? And um, and when you think about some of the tools that are the last ones on the list, they're the ones where the infrastructure and where the company is dependent yeah. on having, like, it's something you can't rip out. Uh, yeah, but it's also the others to get into it. It's the most challenging thing. That yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's the most challenging because we have to build the trust. You see, that's why we are communicating so much. That's why we do explain publicly how we like treat our customers, how we make sure that they are successful and so on. It's part of the strategy because we build the trust with them. We just explain and we open the box and, and show them, hey, look at how we build the company, who are those people, and we are, yeah, that's exactly why, because the most challenging thing that we can, we face in a company like us, and that was exactly what the, I remember like two years ago, I had like the first uh, introduction to people that wanted to invest into the company and they were challenging me in the, oh yeah, you will not succeed. How do you defend out of that? And yeah, it's not like you're too challenging, too complex and so on and so forth. Uh, and today we are breaking that. Uh, we are just showing that we are able to get into those in organization, even like big companies from, uh, 10 people, obviously to 500 to 800 to like uh, people with great, like engineering team, like crazy engineering team, and they get into coverage because it just makes sense. And we have been distressed with them. Yeah. 
Nice. And what are you doing to build trust? Obviously, so you mentioned uh, you're talking about it. Uh, um, I'm assuming websites and blog posts and things like this, but because it is probably like there's very big challenge. On one end, once you get them, you have them. But because of that, it's like a very, very big decision that needs to be made. And uh, so like, what would you say is like the key factors that lead you building trust with them? Yeah, there is a first thing is that we have like a very strong marketing strategy, even if we don't have like official marketing team, because everyone in the company are like, they are marketers, even like the developers, you know, that they're working on the product. Because when they start talking about what they're doing, it's like promoting the job. And, you know, the level of passion is like uh, quite important here because the more you're passionate, the better you will just communicate on what you're doing. And it's basically, we have different levels. So we have the brand, uh, so the branding, so we are building the brand. We are like investing a lot on the content that we're doing uh, on that side. We have also the awareness. So it's all the actions that we put in place to make sure that uh, people at least get into career in one way or the other. For instance, we are creating a, a content or sidecar project. It's a good way for me, for instance, with this product that is Replibyte to synchronize like cloud databases that are created at Curry. It's a good way just to get uh, the awareness that we need and so on and so forth. So that's all the actions that we put in place just to build that trust. And it's, it's also in the product itself. When you use the product, you see, you, you can see and feel that it's polished. You see, the product is polished. It's like uh, the design system is clean and all those things. So that's the way you just reassure like the prospect, the users and all those things. The first contact with also like the developer experience engineer, it's part of the trust. Uh, when you start talking to him, you see how he behaves, all the response that he provides to you. Uh, it's very clear, sharp. You can just show and explain exactly how you have to do that and how the platform will just help you to make more and faster and better. It's just a way of building that trust. It's all those things. All it's, the different points. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, it's, there's something that is quite interesting. It's the communication. If we talk like globally, it's the communication. All those things are like the communication itself. Even the product, the documentation is like communication, showing something, explaining something. And the way the form is also super important here. Very cool. Yeah, man, I think it's really important to sort of view every single touch point across the journey, especially when you start to think about trust and making sure that there's strong alignment across the board because it's it's very easy in companies sometimes to sort of like have this miscommunication, misalignment, and then selling mixed messages in ads is what you see on the website. And then when you get into sales and uh, companies that really, really do well have this super yeah. strong alignment from beginning to end around the user experience. And they don't see product as that in bits and pieces of software that you're using, but the product is the company and all the different touch points that the company has. With yes. Yeah. Um, you see that, yeah. Yeah. There is just one thing to add, which is quite interesting here because you just mentioned how do you be like trust is being present at the right place for your right audience. And the right way of doing that with developers is by creating content because they are always curious about something. They want to learn, learn, and learn. How do you make sure that you are like present? And today we attract all our like 100% of our customers. They were attracted by, we are not doing any advertisement like paid ads. It's only like contents 100% inbound. So this is where you, because, yeah. yeah yeah. And you're hitting the right target audience and uh, you've really built some level of trust by delivering value uh, up front. And 
Very cool. So I see we're running up on time, so I want to make sure I save uh, time for these two questions that I ask every guest. Uh, hypothetical scenario, you arrive at a new company, churner attention is not doing great. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Romeric, you need to turn things around. You have 90 days. What do you do? But you're not going to tell me I'm going to speak to customers, figure out the pain points, and then start there. You're just going to choose some tactic that you've seen be effective either in your current company or previous companies, and you're going to run with that playbook blindly to try and reduce trend fast. What would you do? I say it again, your question, because it was like very, very fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very fast. Uh, so, yeah, so what I was basically just saying is like, if you had you know, the CEO comes in and says, you need to reduce churn and retention fast, and you only oh, have yes. 90 days, you're in charge. What do you do? But don't tell me you're going to speak to customers and figure out the pain points. You're just going to choose something that you've seen that's been effective, either at your current company or a prior company, of reducing churn quickly. Hmm. It's uh, starting to charge them like a charge charge them uh, annually. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good it's a good way to just exactly and get the real pain of what. Yeah, you don't want me to talk to them, but actually, it's like a very it's a very tough question. It's a very very tough question because if you can't like talk to them, how do you make sure that you are? Yeah, maybe I can just like reduce the churn right now. Meaning that I can just like start to say, hey, now you have to pay like annually. But actually, maybe they will choose that because they have no options and they it's lagging for to produce products. So it means that if I force them to take like the annual contract, they will take it. But probably I will use them like at the end of the next year. So it's you're not solving, you're just delaying it. Yeah, it is a difficult it, it's a difficult question, there, right? And I think there's not much you can do in a short period of time. Um yeah. But yeah, but if you if you have to do it right now, then I will probably like the pandemic. For instance, imagine like the, the pandemic is getting in, and then you, you you know that you are going to be impacted. So what's your choice is you know that if you can stick uh, stay alive like for one more year, maybe it's better than just like dying now. Yeah. Uh, so this is why it's very complex. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what's one thing that you know today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? I think I knew, you know, there is like a difference uh, between like the theory, theory, theory and, the, and the practical things. So yeah. sometimes you have the theory, but you don't have like the practice. And that's exactly my situation. I know exactly about like all those things. Like everyone is saying always the same thing. And even today, sometimes, uh, I remember you are like people that, you know, this like famous sentence that you get from the YC, which is like, it's something that people want. It's like, it's like, it sounds like a bullshit, but when you didn't like experiment that, that you don't really know. And this is exactly like the situation where we are. When you are asking this question, it's exactly what I have in mind. It's uh, yeah, we have like the theory and everyone will get the theory, but uh, unless like you practice, there is a, Nothing would happen. So, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's one thing it's knowing the theory. But... No, no, it's good. It is good. It's responding. And I think the one thing is like, it's one thing knowing the theory. It's another thing executing on the theory uh, and executing consistently on the theory because you hear a lot of uh, things that you should be doing, you should be doing, and then you start doing them, but then you end up stopping doing them at some point because other things come up, you get busy. Like, uh, but just always remembering, uh, like it's only about the customer problem, the customer pain points, understanding that deeply and solving that. Um, yeah. But yeah, in, in theory and practice, it's two totally different things. And 
it's it's easy to forget as well. Yeah. But you know, because also there is something I'm super biased. The recent was like completely biased because it's my third company and the other one is like not a real success. Uh, you see, yeah. it's like a success in some way because I've sold like those companies. Okay, great. But it's not a success in my head. And from that, those experiences, I, I've learned so much. That's exactly why we invested into the communications since day one into covering because yeah, I knew that, yeah, you can be like the best product ever, but if you do not communicate on that product, who knows about your product? No yeah. one will use it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, Romeric, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. I really enjoyed the, the discussion. Is there any final thoughts uh, you want to leave the listeners with, like anything they should be aware of? Yes, we are going super fast. So if you want to join like the next, the future of the cloud, just the, I feel free to apply on our like website and uh, thanks Sandro for having me. And I would like also to thank my team, uh, which is like you're doing an amazing job, but they know already about that. So yeah, I need to hear. Okay. Thanks Sandro. I will make sure that uh, we get it out to them as well so they can hear that. But then we'll add all the, the different links and things that we mentioned today in the show notes. It's been a pleasure hosting you now. I wish you best of luck going forward. Yeah. Thank you. Abu. Take care. Yes, bye. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.